everyone, and welcome to Armchair HIPAA. Armchair HIPAA is a podcast for compliance officers by compliance officers. I am Sarah Badaman, host of Armchair HIPAA and CEO of HIPAAtrack. This week, we're going to hear from Dina Castricone. She is a privacy and healthcare attorney at DMC Law. Dina is going to talk about how HIPAA is changing and how you can keep up. So pull up your favorite armchair and listen to today's episode. Welcome, Dina. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So why don't you get started uh, first by telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So uh, right out of law school, I clerked for the Chief Justice of the Rhode Island Supreme Court before joining a regional law firm where I spent 15 years. Um, I was a partner in the healthcare group there and also the chair of the privacy and cybersecurity group. Um, then I went in-house with a client, a large federally qualified health center. I was their general counsel and chief of privacy, which was a really um, important aspect to my career because I learned for the first time what it was like to get legal advice from outside counsel um, and how sometimes it can be really challenging to operationalize what your lawyers are telling you um, to do and really gave me a different perspective on, on how important it is to get uh, practical advice from, from your legal team. The other thing I learned when I was in-house was that I missed practicing health law and privacy law all the time because as general counsel, you don't, you don't get to do that. So I decided to open my own firm and um, now I get to do health law and privacy law uh, all the time. And I really do try to focus on practical solutions for, um, for my healthcare clients because I know how difficult uh, compliance across the board can be and uh, want to make sure that I can help them operationalize um, you know, the aspects of compliance. That's awesome. So you bring us really unique perspective because not only are you the uh, an attorney, but you also were in-house uh, at an FQHC. And FQHCs have a bunch of challenges in trying to um, make compliance work. And so you had the the unique perspective from both angles. What have you found to be the the biggest challenge for FQHCs in operationalizing their compliance? Because that's something that we hear uh, every day that they're struggling with. Well, I think it's um, I think most FQHCs and small providers struggle with budgetary constraints and lack mm -hmm. of personnel. Uh, and in many instances, you have folks wearing numerous hats. Uh, whereas in other large healthcare organizations, there might be entire departments who are doing what just one person is doing um, in an FQHC or a smaller provider. So there are there are real challenges, and you have to prioritize what needs to get done and um, and look at the resources that you have to work with. Right, and so we have that challenge. And then today's topic, we're talking about these new proposed rule changes that the OCR announced. Um, in December uh, for the HIPAA privacy rule. And we just were talking about it before we started recording how the OCR still hasn't even posted those to the federal registry yet. So, but what are some things that folks can be looking for in starting right now, even though these haven't been posted yet uh, in preparation for these regulations? Yeah, so first, um, just so folks know, in the rulemaking process, you have the opportunity to provide comments mm -hmm. uh, after a proposed rule is issued. And this is a proposed rule. It's not a final rule. And But that 60-day clock doesn't start ticking 
until the proposed regulations are published in the Federal Register. And as you said, they've not yet been published in the Federal Register. Typically, it takes no more than three, maybe five days for um, proposed rules to be published in the Federal Register. They were released um, by HHS and OCR on December 10th. I have no idea uh, why there's been such a delay. Um, and so as of right now, that 60-day clock for commenting on the proposed rules has not started running. But as soon as that Federal Register, as soon as it's published in the Federal Register, folks have 60 days to provide comments on the proposed um, rule. And I want to make sure that I emphasize how important that comment process is. So for providers, you know, if you see something in this rule or you've heard something in this proposed rule that that you just don't think would work, it's important that you provide comments to the regulators so they know and understand what the operational challenges are. They are regulators. They are not Provider. healthcare operators. So Correct. we have to give them that information. Right. I think one of the biggest things that folks need to be looking at when they're looking at these proposed changes is in the uh, patient right of access changes that they're proposing because one of the biggest proposals that they've said is that patients should have the right to video record or take pictures of their own medical records and they should be able to do so. They should be able to make an appointment in the HIM department or at a physician exam appointment. They think that this can, will pose more of a challenge than the OCR has, has, kind of uh, thought of, right? So what do you think about that proposed rule change? Yeah, so um, the, the right to inspect has always existed. Mm -hmm. And what OCR is trying to do with these changes is enhance the right to inspect. And actually the language that they use in the regulation is, um, is to take notes Mm -hmm. uh, take a photograph or use other um, available methods uh, to inspect. Not really clear. So the language, the proposed language doesn't actually specifically say videotape, but certainly that's implied from the other language that, you know, other, other methods. Uh, and as you point out, Sarah, there are all sorts of operational challenges around that. You know, what is... You, does that include video recording, audio recording? Does it um, entitle patients to make an appointment for the sole purpose of looking at their record with the provider? Um, what does it mean taking photographs? Does that mean the provider's got to turn their computer screen around and the patient can click photos of the computer screen? What if other uh, tabs are open, which sometimes, as we know, providers can have other tabs open and you might be able to see somebody else's name. I mean, there are all sorts of potential issues surrounding this right to inspect. And my biggest issue with the right to inspect, the enhanced right to inspect rules, is that they provide a couple of examples and only one exception. And the exception is that a patient does not have to be allowed to plug in a device to the provider right. system to download things. But since that's the only exception, it makes it read as if there really aren't many other limitations. And I think there need to be more parameters and guardrails around um, that those additional 
types of methods of inspection so that it doesn't interfere with care, so that it doesn't um, jeopardize the privacy rights of others. And really, the only way we can get a handle on what those issues are is if providers give us the feedback of operationally how this would be difficult for them to implement. Well, I think one of the biggest problems, and I think that uh, we were talking about this earlier too, is when they're being told they can go to the medical records department to take, to inspect their records or get access to their records, right? That medical record departments and an FQHC and a hospital, they're not set up for patients to access those. They are not set up to respect other patients' privacy for a patient to go in there. So in order to facilitate that, it's going to be a huge challenge. So even if it's just being able to take notes, so forget about taking pictures or videos or anything else, it's really just being able to take the notes. They're not providing the access into those rooms that are for authorized personnel only that I think is going to be a big challenge. And I think that that's one of the biggest things that if this does get pushed through and this does become what one of the new regulations is, is what do providers, so hospitals and clinics and so forth, what do they need to be doing to prepare themselves for this? Do they set up a separate exam room? Do they set up a conference room if they're in a hospital? Where do they get this set up for a patient to be able to do it? And you raise a really good point. In the comments, the commentary that OCR yeah. provides to the rule is where they talk about accessing um, the medical records department. They sort of throw that out as an example. That's not mm -hmm. in the proposed regulatory language, but it's important that they've mentioned it because they're essentially saying, look, we think it's probably reasonable if the patient can just go to a medical records department and whip out their camera and start to take pictures. I mean, I don't know how many medical records departments they've been in. Sometimes it's one person's office who also serves in, you know, two or three other roles. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's, it's an internal office that, that isn't accessible to a patient at all. So there are plenty of considerations. Um, and fortunately, the proposed language um, for the, the proposed rule change doesn't specifically say anything about um, accessing medical record departments. Um, right. Because that would be, as you point out, that would certain, but they did say it in the comments, which means that they're thinking about it and they think that it's, um, it's a reasonable method under this new language. Right. And that's why I mentioned it, right? Because I think in the actual verbiage, it says mutually agreed upon, right? So it says it has to be mutually agreed upon. Yeah, so and it, to the extent that it's helpful, the, the proposed language um, says an individual's right to inspect protected health information about an individual in a designated record set includes the right to view, take notes, take photographs, and use other personal resources to capture information, except that a covered entity is not allowed to require an individual to connect a personal device to the covered entity's mm -hmm. information system. Um, but you're right that they talk in the commentary, in the commentary about itself. mutually convenient mm -hmm. time and, um, and they make lots of assumptions about what would fall under this proposed language. All of them, I think, could be really problematic for, for providers to, um, to implement operationally. At Hippotrek, we are just like you. 
We're not just another compliance platform that only your IT team can figure out. We're a team of healthcare compliance professionals that have been in your shoes. We were frustrated with traditional tools and knew that there had to be a better way. HIPAA was developed by compliance officers for compliance officers. So if you're feeling overwhelmed by your outdated compliance software, contact us for the solution. Call 314-272-2600 or visit us at hippotrek.com. Um, and, and let me say this, we aren't going to get away from additional, uh, from changes to the right of access. No. As, as you know, we've talked about it extensively. The right of access has been a huge focus of OCR over the last two years and will continue to be um, a huge issue. We're going to see changes to the right of access regulation. I just want to make sure that, uh, you know, we provide comments and, and I'm certainly planning on commenting and, you know, comments that say, make sure you consider or that you allow providers to, um, to have some parameters around this right to inspect. It can't be a right to inspect without like guardrails. A, right. There's got to be some reasonableness to it. And, you know, in, in another section of the right to access proposed regulation, they talk about, you know, during a visit, if it's readily if it's readily accessible, um, the provider has to share it without delay with the patient. Well, what does readily accessible mean? Right, that's not defined. We have no idea what readily accessible means. The provider could sit there and look through the entire chart, sure, but does that make it readily accessible to the patient? Does that mean we need to teach the patient how to use the record so they can look through it? I, I can't imagine that. I know, <laughs> and so nonetheless. That sort of ambiguity, readily accessible, is really operationally going to cause all sorts of problems um, for providers. But let me let me say this: one of the things I think providers can do now, regardless of these proposed changes, which will help with compliance with right of access things today, and will also help when there are changes to the right of access rule. They think providers need to shift their focus on, um, on right of access. I think, generally speaking, providers have been really conservative about granting access to records because we're trying to do our best to protect patients, right? And we, we get that. Um, but there has to be a better understanding and maybe more training of the folks who are in charge of this that patients own their record. It's their information and they're entitled to it. And we have to make every effort to give them access to their information. And when it's important to treatment or it's to go to another provider, we need to make sure we're, we're prioritizing that and we're getting this information that the patient needs to the patient or to their other um, provider. And so if we take those steps now, which are things we're required to do right now anyway, right. when these new rules come out, whatever it is they say, we know that they're going to focus on ensuring that patients have the right to access. It's going to be easier to implement because we, we will have already thought about how we can make records most accessible to our patients. Um, so, you know, I really would just encourage providers to don't put that off. Do that, do that now. Um, it may be a year or two before we see any 
final regulations out of this. So I wouldn't hold your breath and wait to make changes until then. This right of access stuff, and as you know, we saw 11 right of access enforcement um, action resolutions mm -hmm. this year alone. Um, OCR is hot to trot on this issue, and if you're not doing it right right now under the current regulations, there are some risks there as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and there are some positive things that are in this new proposed rulemaking change, too. Right? So when we look at the how they're trying to redefine healthcare operations, like I think that some of that's going to really lighten some of the burden and really trying to align it with the Cures Act and the right to, you know, the information blocking and trying to make it easier for healthcare providers and reduce some of the burdens that they've kind of self-inflicted. Because when we look at the healthcare operations, proposed rulemaking, it's really just clarification of what's already there. And a lot of the changes that they are proposing are grammatical changes to help the understanding of what the spirit of the meaning behind the O and TPO is. And I think those are some exciting changes. Do you want to talk for just a few minutes about that? Yeah, sure. And it's it's a great it's a great point. And I think it's both with operations and also with treatment when we're talking Correct. about coordination of care and case management. And it's a great point, Sarah, and one I know that Aaron raised um, in the HIPAA in, huddle. In the HIPAA huddle, that we can get a lot of insight right now, today, into how OCR is interpreting the current regulations without waiting for some new final regulations. So we can also be taking action today mm -hmm. based on what we've seen in these proposed rules and the commentary from OCR, which has said, look, under the current regulatory scheme, you can share protected health information with social service agencies, with community-based service agencies mm -hmm. that are doing health-related things for your patients, even if they're not covered entities and even if they're not business associates. Pretty much across the board, I think providers have been pretty conservative and have drawn the line there right. with good reason. Mm -hmm. Because once the provider releases that information to an entity that is not subject to HIPAA, that information is no longer protected. So I think that providers were justified in taking that position. But now we've heard from OCR that you can make these disclosures to social service agencies. Um, the example in the proposed rule was the senior center. Right. Uh, sharing information with the senior center. Now, we, now that we know that OCR is taking that position, I think now is a good time to go back and look at your definition of treatment, your definition of healthcare operations, and your practices for responding to requests from social service agencies um, and, and other community-based organizations that are participating in health-related activities that are, you know, it's these social determinants of health, housing, food, those sorts of things, um, and see what you can do to make sure that you are sharing information when it's permitted. Um, as Aaron also talked about in, hip, in the HIPAA huddle, and I'm sure we're going to talk a lot more about over the next couple months, the information blocking rules take effect yes. in April. And we're going to see a lot of this issue of sharing for treatment purposes uh, where it's permissive under HIPAA, under the information blocking rules. It's going to be required. Right. Uh, so, so you raise a great point that a lot of the proposed rules, OCR is very clear, are nothing but clarifications of existing rules or their current interpretation of existing rules. And they've just decided 
to um, change the regulatory language. As a matter of fact, in the in the notice of proposed rulemaking, OCR explains that it received a number of comments to the request for information that it issued in 2018. Um, saying that changes to the regulatory language would be helpful mm -hmm. to make providers more comfortable. So according to OCR, the suggestion for changing the regulatory language, even though it was already permitted, came from commenters who said it would be really helpful if you made it more clear um, in the rule. So, you know, I think that the two things we've just talked about from my perspective are the two most important takeaways for healthcare providers right now. And that is that we can work hard to comply with current rules the way they are and, and make sure that we're, we're maximizing that compliance so that when changes come into effect related to coordination of care and right of access, we will already be doing the things that are the driving force behind Hi. the proposed changes. I would 100% agree with you, right? That's one of the things that we've told our clients as well as if you just look and see what these proposed rules are and see what the spirit is behind them and look at what your current policies are, you can see with very minimal changes to what you're currently doing, you can already be in a line with what the spirit is behind these rules. And therefore, when it comes time to start adopting them, you're not going to even have to really think about it because you've already done it because the majority of this is just clarification of what you should already be doing. And so you may have some minor tweaks that you have to do. So I know when a lot of folks were talking about this and they were calling this like a major change and sweeping change, I think it's more of a sweeping clarification, <laughs> a sweeping clarification, which means that there may be a few things that we have to do, but it's not going to be overly burdensome. I don't believe, I think there may be some elements that may be may prove to be difficult to break a habit of, but I don't think that it's going to be overly burdensome. Yeah, and I think it's a mindset change too, because remember when HIPAA first came out, everyone was in the protection mindset. Right. We are protecting information. And we've seen an evolution of that over the years, because remember when HIPAA first came out, it was really healthcare providers and insurers that had protected mm -hmm. health information. Now, health information that's not subject to HIPAA is everywhere. Right. And so this concept of health information and where it lives and breathes in this world is very different than it was back in 2003 when HIPAA first um, took effect. And so the way we thought about health information in 2003 is probably very different than how we think about it now. Not that it doesn't need to be protected, but that in this highly electronic world, in order to facilitate coordination of care and in order for, for patients who are now more like consumers in the healthcare marketplace than they ever were before to make sure they've got access to their information, we have to maximize the access that's permitted under the rule. So whereas before it was minimized, 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 now it's maximized the permissive, permissible access. So we've got this sort of evolution, this change in, in mindset on how we handle data. And I think a lot of that change is going to have to come through training of your frontline staff, your medical records folks, the folks who are dealing with these requests day in and day out. So they know and understand that this change is, is happening and that they have to work on that basic premise that, you know, 
patient right of access is good. Coordination of care is good. We do what we need to do to make sure we can meet those needs while making sure that we also protect the patients where we're required to, um, to provide that level of protection. Amazing, Dina. Thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you so much for all of this like incredible insight. It's been absolutely fantastic. Do you have any last words that you want to tell our listeners? Read the rule and comment. Uh, and if you don't want to comment and you want to just send your comments to Sarah or have her send them to me, I will be commenting um, in particular on, on the rule we talked about today. It's really important that um, HHS and OCR hear from the provider community and know the operational challenges that could exist. Awesome. And how can our listeners find you, Dina? Uh, I'm at dmclawllc.com, and my email address is dina at dmclawllc.com, D-E-N-A. Please feel free to um, to reach out, and I'm sure Sarah could connect you with me as, as well. Awesome. There will also be a link to Dina's LinkedIn uh, profile in the description of the podcast, so you can also connect with her on LinkedIn. So thank you so much, Dina. Thanks so much for having me, Sarah. This is great fun.